All right. How's everyone doing? Y'all have a great day today? Yeah. yeah. I had a good day today. My skin is stinging just a little bit. That's how you know I got sun real good. Uh, man, I had fun on the beach. Y'all have fun at the pool on the beach? In, in, any sports going today? I heard there was soccer today. Was there soccer today? Volleyball? How was volleyball? Was it lit? Yes. Okay, good. All right, cool. Well, I'm excited to stand before you again today and uh, share God's word with you. Um, I, I know we have uh, lunch, what is it, no, dinner out tonight, so I know y'all are hungry and y'all are tired, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try my best to speed through this, uh, so y'all uh, run with me as we run through this text. So y'all turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 27, John chapter 4, uh, verse 27, no, verse, yeah, 27, John chapter 4, verse 27. So we've talked about Peace, peace with God. The first day we talked about how we have peace with God on a vertical level, that how we were at one point enemies of God, and through Jesus Christ, God has brought us near. We are now friends with God. We have peace with God. But this peace with God means that we, in turn, have peace with each other. So if we see if, if all of these individuals have peace with God vertically, now that changes the way they relate to each other horizontally. So... The peace that we have with God is displayed in the peace that we have with each other. We talked about present age divisions, how present age divisions are a problem. If Jesus wants to unite the whole world under his lordship, then divisions are a problem. And that he has created a new people. A, 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 we are a new creation. And as such, we are to exhibit new creation unity. So, th so this peace... It's not just an individual reality with God, but it's a corporate reality. Does, does that make sense? That the people of God should be a place of peace, a, play, a place where peace is displayed. Um, but there's a, there's a beautiful line in our passage from yesterday that said that Christ preached peace to those who were near and those who were far off. I want to get a snapshot. So, so you know, like the, the photos on our phone and we can like zoom in if we do that. I kind of want to zoom in on like what is it like for Christ to preach, preach peace to those who are near and those who are far off. I want to zoom in. So John 4 is kind of Jesus, uh, a picture of Jesus preaching peace to those who are near and far off. So I'm going to read the text, um, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll hop in. So, so just a little context. John has just finished talking with the woman. Jesus, in John's gospel account, has just finished talking with the woman at the well. And so he's uh, talked to her about water and how she's thirsty, and then he provides living water, and then... He basically ministers to her, and we start to see that she's starting to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the end-time king who's coming to restore all things. And so now we see that this is right after he had that conversation with her. So he, hear now the reading of God's word. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? 
Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sing you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the reality that you are peace and you have come bearing a message of peace. So, Lord, would you show us how we can be a part of this mission? Lord, would you show us how we can uh, be on mission with you and that you can work through us uh, more so than in spite of us? So, Lord, we, I ask that your Holy Spirit would help me to preach. It would help me to, uh, that you, Holy Spirit, would help me to explain this word, that you would help me to explain what you have already given to your people. Holy Spirit, would you help my hearers pay attention uh, to your word, uh, that they would love it, receive it, believe it, uh, and practice it. Lord, we love you. Amen. So, there's a term nowadays that describes something very serious in the church. It causes uh, divisions and friendships. It causes feelings to be hurt. It causes people to be sad and depressed or angry or anxious. It's a very serious thing going on. Does anyone know what this term is? Yell it out. It's not sin. It's FOMO. The fear of missing out. Have you all heard of FOMO? Good. And you all are like, duh, yes. But uh, FOMO, the fear of missing out, can strike at any time. So it can strike when, sorry, all this fly is bothering me. It can strike when we are on Instagram and we see our friends going to different places or going to some type of hangout, and we're like, oh, man, I didn't get the invite, right? FOMO strikes. We have this, 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 this painful experience that comes with knowing that something awesome and exciting is happening, but we aren't a part of it. Or even if anyone has pets, how many of y'all have pets? Do y'all have a dog or, or a cat or something like that? When, when guests come over to the house and your dog is in the cage and your dog is barking his head off, your dog is experiencing FOMO. He has the fear of missing out. He wants to be inside and he wants to socialize with your guests, right? Um, and even in college, like you'll be up writing a paper. You know a paper is due at 8 a.m. or even in high school. And you know that you should not get distracted with a TV show or a movie or hanging out. But someone convinces you to do something else other than write that paper. And you're up at 1 or 2 a.m. trying to write a paper all night that's due at 8 a.m. FOMO can hit hard, especially in those moments. But you know what the problem is, I think, with the church? I think our problem is not that we uh, have the pain of FOMO. I think our problem is that we don't experience FOMO. I think the church needs more FOMO. Y'all with me? And what do we need more FOMO for? I think that Jesus is up to something amazing, spectacular. Jesus is out, and he's preaching peace to those who are near and those who are far off. He's reaching people. People are meeting Jesus. People are coming to Christ. And we have absolutely no fear of missing out. 
we uh, have no fear of missing out of being on mission with Jesus. Jesus is on a mission to reach all nations, and we need to feel some type of anxiety, some type of fear, some type of sorrow when we realize that we aren't a part of it. And so today I want to talk about the beauty and glory of God's mission, and as a result, I want us to experience some FOMO. So if you don't get anything else from our time tonight, this is, this is what I want to drive home. Jesus is on a mission. Are you with him? Jesus is on a mission. Are you with him? And so the reality is that when, when we talk about God was pursuing me, or like if, if, if any of you all uh, relate your conversion experience, and you're talking about, like, man, God was pursuing me, or God met me, or God, you know, rescued me, and God loved me. Get, like, I don't know if we thought about it, but like if we like kind of like despiritualize that, um, and use like very concrete language, you know what that actually looks like? God pursuing you, his people pursuing you. You would not be a believer if one of God's people did not come to you with a message of peace. That is concretely how God, like really, ultimately and finally pursued you in real life in real time. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, we believe in providence. But the, God is the primary means, but other people in your life were the secondary means, right? God is sovereign, but human responsibility is, the reality is, that people in your high schools, uh, in your churches, in, in your youth groups, they will not know peace unless you come with a message of peace, right? Are y'all with me? So the thing is, I, I want to talk about three things about Jesus' mission. is scandalous. It's urgent, and it, it, it is successful. It is scandalous, it is urgent, and it is successful. So I'm, I'm, I'm moving quickly. I've, I've been going um, uh, slow. I wanted to explain that to y'all, but now I'm going to move fast, all right? So y'all, y'all run with me. All right, first thing, somebody say scandalous. Jesus' mission is scandalous. So in verses 27 through 30, we see that Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman, right? So the disciples went out in town to go get bread, and now they're coming back. Because Jesus was hungry. So they come back and they see Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman. So there's two things in the disciples' minds that are wrong here. Number one, he's talking with a woman. Now, during popular uh, thought during that time, it was a waste of time for a rabbi to talk with a woman. There was kind of like uh, a sort of sexism going on that at best it was a waste of time. At worst, a rabbi can get in serious trouble spiritually talking with a woman. But on top of that, Jesus was talking with a Samaritan. Now, Jesus is a Jew. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Uh, basically, the Jews thought of Samaritans as kind of like half-blooded Jews, and then they saw that Samaritans as having like kind of like a bootleg or knockoff version of the Jewish religion. So when the disciples come up, they're like, what is Jesus doing? <laughs> There's so many things wrong with this picture in the disciples' minds. But this shows the disciples' prejudice uh, during that day. But here's the thing. Uh, you might be saying, Jesus' mission is scandalous. Like, what does that mean, Right. So a scandal is something that causes public outrage, right? A scandal is anything that causes public outrage, outrage against a perceived offense against morality or custom. So what Jesus was doing at this time would have been scandalous. He is breaking the common norms. Uh, we see that Jesus is pursuing people that other people during that time were not have pursued. We see that Jesus' mission reaches across sexes. He invites both men and women into his kingdom and affirms their equality. There are no second-class citizens in Jesus' kingdom. 
Jesus' mission reaches across race and class. He's reaching out to a Samaritan. And this Samaritan woman was an outcast. She was at the well in the middle of the day by herself. She, she didn't really have many friends. Jesus' mission would have been scandalous, and this would have been scandalous, especially for a religious teacher to do. It reaches across social lines. Like I said, this woman was an outsider. She had a history of sexual immorality and sexual sin, and no one wanted to be around her, and Jesus was pursuing her. And on top of that, Jesus is a male, and she's a female, and they're together. Uh, this would have been scandalous for a religious teacher, and it reached across national and political lines that really Samaria was kind of uh, a separate province from Judea and the in way geography was set up. Jesus was reaching across national and political lines, and he invites people from every nation, every political party, every religion into his kingdom. He invites them to repent of their sins. Um, so my wife, have y'all seen Janelle, me walking around with my, well, my wife, Janelle, she's in the back, Janelle Wave. Yeah, that's my wife and my kids. So when we first got married, before we had kids, we were like just married. We wanted to make art and we wanted to decorate our house. So we went to the place called the Mosaic Shop. Has anyone ever done mosaic art? Raise your hand if you've done mosaic art. Like you just, like, so we took a big C, big wooden C, and we wanted to have a big C hang up in our house. So we took all these containers you know, one container had bullet shell casings, another container had plastic pieces, one had broken jewelry, another might have had, you know, beads. And so we're sitting down and we're gluing all of these pieces down on our sea to make a piece of art. And this is kind of like what it is with God, right? God sits down at the table and he sees all of these different containers. And these containers are all separate. So he sees in one container, he sees whites. In another container, he sees blacks. In another container, insiders and outsiders. In one container, he sees um, uh, the Democrats. In another container, the Republicans. In, in another container, he sees, you know, the, the jock. In another container, the nerd or whatever it may be. All these people are separated, and they enjoy being separate. And what God is doing in his mission, and he's taking all these different pieces from all these different containers, and he's gluing them down on his seat. He's taking whites and blacks, and he glues them down. He's taking men and women, and he glues them down. He's taking the rich and the poor, and he glues them down. He's taking the insider and the outsider, he glues them down. He's taking Democrats and Republicans, and he glues them down. He's taking internationals and domestics, and he's gluing them down. And he wants to make a beautiful piece of mosaic art called the church. This is what God's mission is like. But you see, this is the thing. The disciples want the containers to be separate, right? They want all these different containers and people to be in all different containers. And isn't that what our world is like? That, like, like I mentioned yesterday, we want to be in our own little sphere, in our own little zone around people who are exactly like us. And y'all, isn't it, isn't it uh, kind of scary sometimes when we look at the church at large? Hasn't, hasn't the church kind of molded into the way that society wants to divide itself into containers? Uh, we have all different kinds of churches, right? We have the white church, the black church, the Hispanic church, the Asian church, the church that likes progressive music the ch or contemporary music, the church that likes old school traditional hymns, the church that likes green carpet, the church that likes red carpet, the church that likes wooden pews, the church that likes cushion pews, the church that likes four songs, the church that likes three songs, the church where the pastor goes 50 minutes, the church where the pastor goes 15 minutes, the cowboy church, right, the hipster church, the urbanite church, the rural church. Uh, the, like we have all these different types of churches and the reality is they're like centered around things that don't really matter oftentimes, right? And it's because the American church is set up like the mall. We can go to a church and the minute we don't like one thing, we're like, 
bye, finna go shop at another store, right? Because we have all these choices, we end up in these separate containers, and we look more like the world than like the new creation, don't we sometimes? We can look more like the world than like Jesus' new creation. Um, and so the reality is, God, Jesus is calling the church to adopt this heart of creating mosaic art, right? He wants us to reach out to anyone who is in our sphere of influence, any and everybody who is in our sphere of influence, who we rub elbows with. And God wants us to reach out and share the gospel with all peoples. And we have to ask the question, what would it look like for our youth groups, our churches, um, our UF, our, our denomination to adopt this heart? What would it look like for us to, to, to look like uh, this mosaic piece of art? But the second thing, Jesus' mission is urgent. Somebody say urgent. Um, and, the re- and, and, and just even on the last point, like this popped in my head, like even the last point, you know, so I, I don't want to just be uh, callous. Like I realize that all of us like have real human reasons for wanting to be in our own containers, right? Like, if, if you're anything like me, I have prides, I have fears, I'm nervous, I have fear of rejection. I don't want to say something stupid to people who aren't like me, right? Like, I'm going to be second-guessing it all up inside of my head. Uh, but the thing is, Jesus is not scared where I'm afraid to go. Jesus is not afraid to pursue who I'm afraid to pursue. And Jesus doesn't have all the weird hang-ups that I have. And Jesus sees my heart and he sees your heart and he sees all the fears and the doubts and the worries and concerns. And Jesus is going to meet you there and Jesus is going to minister to you there. Jesus is going to go before you because he loves you and because he realize that, realizes that we're made of dust. And Jesus is going forward in his scandalous mission even when we're afraid to be a part of something scandalous. Second thing, Jesus' mission is urgent. Somebody say urgent. All right, now we're actually on our second point. <laughs> Uh, and it's urgent because it's ready. So this is the thing. In verses 31 through uh, 30, uh, really 38, Jesus starts lecturing his disciples about mission. So here's the thing. The Samaritan woman, because the disciples kind of cut the conversation short, she goes back to her hometown, and she's bringing her town on the horizon. So Jesus is talking with his disciples, and on the horizon, this whole Samaritan town is coming towards them. And Jesus starts giving them basically a, 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 a seminary course on missions. He's like, hey, don't y'all know about mission? Don't y'all know why I'm talking to this Samaritan woman? And isn't it funny? This Samaritan woman has, been, has had one conversation with Jesus. In the uh, University of Jesus School of Missions, she's taken one credit hour, right? And here's the disciples who have taken, you know, three years and got one more semester left before they graduate. And Jesus is like, look at this woman. She's got a whole town coming towards me. And look at y'all. Y'all are tripping because I'm talking with a Samaritan woman. Let me school you on how she is killing it right now. <laughs> the disciples are always knuckleheaded. Um, and so basically, he's, he, he talks about how the mission is urgent. So when I say the word urgent, what do y'all, some of y'all feel? What do some of y'all feel? I know if you're like me, you feel stress. If something is urgent, it means something bad is about to happen unless I give it attention, right? Like, I got to run and do this thing before something bad happens. But Jesus isn't like that. His mission is urgent not because it depends on you. This is the thing I love about Jesus. Over and over again, he reminds us, like, Jesus is like, I'm going to get stuff done without you, right? Jesus over and over again says, this is my mission. The burden of the mission is on my shoulders, and he's inviting you into something that belongs to him and that he is doing. So check this out. If you ha- How many of y'all had jobs? Many of y'all have jobs? Um, 
what if you're, uh, what, what if someone from like your, your, uh, some random person called and said, hey, I have an all expense paid vacation to Disneyland. I'm paying for you and your family. You know, I've called your dad and, and your mom's job and they have two weeks of paid vacation and also you have two weeks of paid vacation. All y'all gotta do is pack up your stuff and go to Disney World. Now, would it make sense for you to be like, oh, no, I think I'll play Xbox for two more weeks, right? It wouldn't make sense, would it? What would you be doing if you got that phone call? You would run home or drive home if you're 16, right? And you'd be like, everybody pack up their stuff. Let me tell you about this phone call. I'm going to tell you all on the way to Florida, right? It is urgent, not because it depends on you. It's urgent because you're entering into something amazing, right? Or even with sports, like if you're on a championship team and your team is playing, you, man, your team is an all-star team. Y'all know you're going to win, but you're injured, right? And you're like, man, I'm really sad because I'm injured. Ball is life, right? You're like, I got to get in the game. But you don't want to get in the game because it depends on you, right? Your team is going to win with or without you. You want to get in the game because something amazing is going on. A victory is about to happen, and you want to be a part of it. It feels urgent because of that reason. That's why Jesus' mission is urgent, not because something bad is about to happen, but because you are about to enter into something amazing. Uh, and so in this text, he uses two images to describe the urgency. In verse 35, he says, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. So this is basically talking about how there's a time distance between sowing. So, you know, you, you sow the seed, and then you wait four months, and then comes the reaping. Jesus is like telling his disciples, hey, y'all didn't sow, um, and, and y'all weren't even here. But look, I've done the work, and there's an immediate result. He's like, just a few minutes ago, I was talking with a Samaritan woman, and now she's coming with her village. He's basically saying there is no time distance. Jesus is on mission, and he's doing it right now. In verse 37, it says, one sows and another reaps. So basically, you know, it points to the reality that in agriculture, there's teamwork, right? Like, not just one person can't do everything. There's a team, and there's sowing, and there's reaping, and there's teamwork. Jesus is basically telling them, hey, y'all, I'm a team of one. Jesus is like, I'm a one-man band. Jesus is like, y'all were out buying bread, and while y'all were out buying bread, I was doing all the work, and now you're just showing up to reap. Are y'all still with me? And so the reality is the disciples contributed nothing to what Jesus was doing. Do y'all realize that? The disciples contributed absolutely nothing to what Jesus is doing. They are just jumping into what Jesus was already doing. And already doing. Jesus has a for you. You are just jumping in to what Jesus is already doing. Jesus has a lot of great promises in his word. In Matthew 16, Jesus has promised that he will advance his church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This means that if you are on mission, if you are sharing the gospel, if you are engaging in Christian love, Jesus has promised that your endeavors will have You will see people meet the Lord. You will see people be at peace with God and at peace with other people. And not only that, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 10 talks about, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the thing. God has literally predestined the good work. It's already written. The Bible says all you need to do is walk in them. It's already written. History has already been told. All you got to do is press in. And then if that wasn't enough, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even as you're engaging in it for him and God. But here's the thing. God himself will give you the desire to labor for him 
and God himself will give you the ability to labor for him. So it's not even your desire and your ability. It comes from God. And then if that wasn't enough, when's the last time that you breathed on somebody and they were born again? When's the last time that happened for you? I don't know about y'all, but it doesn't work like that for me, <laughs> right? But it does work like, work like that for God. See, when, when, when you share the gospel with your friends and, 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 and with your neighbors, and as you're doing Christian acts of love, that it is God who brings glory to himself. It is God who blows his spirit over people and brings new life. Even as we share the message and even as we reach out to other people, we do pretty much nothing but just go, right? We just have to hop in to what Jesus is already doing. So because of that, y'all, we got to take courage and we got to hop in the mission. But also it's urgent, not, not just because it's ready, it's urgent because it's joyous. So Jesus, in, in verses uh, 34 and 36, he uses two, image, two images to describe the mission. So he uses food and he uses uh, harvest time. So I want y'all real quick, I want y'all to think of y'all's favorite meal. Do, do y'all even have a favorite meal? Ooh, roast beef, all right. I want to hear a couple other people. What are some favorite meals? I'm just curious. Chicken, all right. Yeah, everybody loves chicken. Lasagna. Yeah, man, I'm getting hungry, y'all. This, this, this probably isn't a good illustration because we, we also have to eat dinner, right? <laughs> Mac and cheese. But here's the thing. Here, here's my favorite. I love duck sausage with pork cracklings around it. Yeah. And I like rice in the, like, you know, greens underneath and with the sauce. Like, you know. That's my favorite food. I can just, I can picture it now. I can remember the place where I first had it and everything. Basically, what Jesus is telling his disciples is he's like, being on mission, my father's mission is my favorite meal. The disciples came back with bread, and they're like, hey, Jesus, eat. And he was like, y'all, I'm not hungry. And they're like, hey, did somebody give him some bread while we were away? And he's like, man, my favorite meal is my father's mission. My favorite meal is, is being obedient to the Father's call to bring this message of peace. And y'all, what he's trying to say is that there is satisfaction to be had with being on God's mission. It feels like you're eating your favorite meal when you are serving God and bringing this message of peace to others. But also, have y'all ever been to a harvest festival? Like, have you, ever, have you ever thought about it? Why is it called a harvest festival? Have you ever thought about that? Like, in our society, we have Kroger and Food Lion and uh, Harris Teeter and whatnot. So, like, we don't get excited when harvest time comes, <laughs> right? We just get excited when we get new groceries. I don't know. Maybe, maybe when you go to college and, like, you know, you have to buy your own groceries, maybe you'll get excited when you go to get your own groceries. I'll be getting excited when I see new groceries in the fridge. But here's the thing. Harvest Festival meant for people back then, y'all, we're not going to starve this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's why when harvest came, there was a festival because we had food. We were, were all not going to die. Jesus says that's what God's mission is like. When we see people coming to Jesus and we see people converted and we pe see people meeting the Lord and having peace with God, we should celebrate like we can eat for a year, right? We should celebrate because we're like, yes, people are meeting the Lord. It's a time of joy. Here's the thing. Could it be that you're in a spiritual plateau? or that you're in a spiritual dry spot because you are neglecting God's mission, that you are forfeiting the satisfaction and joy that comes with being on mission with God, with sharing this message of peace? Could it be that you don't truly uh, have the satisfaction that comes with the Christian life? You hear all these other people talking about how great the Christian life is, but you're like, uh, it's just okay. Maybe what if? is because we're not sacrificially and taking 
risk in serving God and sharing this message. Y'all, there is like some of the most joyous and fulfilling moments of my Christian life that I can remember are moments where I've watched Jesus lead people to himself through me. Even though I'm a knucklehead, even though even in college, like I had a ton of issues, but after I was converted, a natural implication of receiving the gospel is, yay, God, you're awesome, and this message is so awesome, I need to share it with somebody else. And then watching, even though how knuckleheaded and how ratchet I was in college, like watching people meet the Lord through me, like God can use somebody like me, that means God can use somebody like you to share this message and watch people's lives be transformed through his spirit working through you. Last thing, moving quickly, Jesus' mission is successful. Somebody say successful. So here's what happens. So the people are coming from the town. They come and meet up with Jesus. They're like, hey, we've heard about you, Jesus, from, from uh, our, our buddy, the Samaritan woman, and we want you to come back and kick it with us for two days. Jesus and, and disciples are like, okay, cool. So basically, they're hanging out in the town, and the Samaritan people say, you know what? We already believed in you, Jesus, because of the Samaritan woman's testimony, but now we believe in you for real, for real. Like, we have seen your own lips move, and we believe that you are legit, right? So here's the thing. They call Jesus the Savior of the world. It says, um, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, here's the thing. The Jewish word for the Savior was the Messiah, right? That basically, the Messiah was an end-time David-like kingly figure who would come and restore all things. But guess what? The Samaritans had their own name for their savior figure. Theirs was the Tehev. The Tehev was a Moses-like figure who would come at end times and be the restorer of all things. But you know what's interesting? This title, the savior of the world, we use it a lot in modern-day Christian, uh, you know, theological conversations and among each other. But guess what? Did y'all know that this term is actually, this title for Jesus is actually super rare in the Bible? It only occurs twice in the whole Bible. And both of those times are in John's writings. It's, it's really unique to John. It occurs in this gospel account, and it occurs in his first epistle. Here's the thing. I think what's going on here is that when Jesus comes, and, man, check it out. There's something weird going on here. You have Jews and Samaritans hanging out in the same town. That's a no-no. They are. And then check this out. The woman who was an outsider She's now an insider. The outsider went to the insiders in order to witness about this gospel of peace to bring these spiritually outsiders to Jesus to become spiritually insiders. Did y'all catch that? There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this town. I think when they say the savior of the world, they're saying, you know what, Jesus, you aren't the, just the Messiah. You aren't just the Tehev. You aren't just the Jewish savior. You aren't just the Samaritan savior. You are the savior of the world. You are the savior of any and everybody who places their trust in you, Jew, Samaritan, all the way to the ends of the earth. This gospel is for everybody. We see that Jesus' mission is successful. Jews and Samaritans who did not like each other, who did not even talk to each other, are living in the same town, united by their common concern for Jesus. Doesn't that sound like what we talked about yesterday? Everybody united under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus' mission is successful. Now, lastly, I'm closing here. The narrative tells us in chapter 4, verse 5, a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, here's the thing. This place that all this is going on, 
the water imagery was really big, right? Uh, wells were really big. Uh, so basically, Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman, and he's like, hey, can you give me some water? And she's like, why are you asking me for water? And she's like, who, who are you to even think you can get water out of this well? Because Jacob, our forefather, Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, who the nation is named after, that's his, this is his well. You think you can, like, get water out of this? And Jesus is like, and she's like, are you greater than our father, Jacob? And Jesus doesn't straight up say it, but he's like, yes, I'm greater than our father, Jacob, because I have living water, right? But here's the thing. This town uh, was near a well that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. I don't think it's a coincidence that the text switches from water imagery to harvest imagery. Have you all ever thought about that? Like, why does Jesus just start randomly talking about harvest? And I think because this place is not only connected to Jacob, the person who had all these wells, it's connected to Joseph, the Lord of the harvest. Do you all remember Joseph's um, narrative? you all remember his story? Have you all heard of Joseph? Basically, he was one of the sons of Jacob. He ended up being sold into slavery in, in Egypt. He goes into Potiphar's house, but he's wrongly accused of rape, and then he's thrown in jail. And then the Lord is with him throughout all this. So wherever he is, he's blessed and he's thriving. Uh, so he's over the jail. But then uh, two, two of his cellmates, they kind of are in a, a predicament, and they have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams. He's like, hey, one of you guys will die, and one of you guys will be uh, restored to position of power in Pharaoh's court. And so Joseph is like, hey, when you get released, just remember me when you're in Pharaoh's household. And they're like, cool, Joseph, we'll remember you in jail. So guess what happens? They forget about him. He gets released, and then they're like, hey, we forgot about Joseph. But here's the thing. Pharaoh gets uh, um, some dreams, and they need interpreting. And then uh, the guy who was Joseph's cellmate, he's like, hey, my buddy Joseph, he had the ability to interpret dreams. Let's bring him up here. And so basically Joseph goes and interprets his dream. Um, basically, Joseph is like, there's going to be seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. Uh, and then Pharaoh says this to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. And the Bible tells us that Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. See, Joseph was the Lord of the harvest. But guess what? Jesus is not only greater than our father, Jacob. Jesus is greater than our father, Joseph. Jesus is the true Lord of the harvest. You see, Joseph was gathering in a harvest of grain that could not be numbered. But Jesus is gathering in a harvest of people. The book of Revelation says, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages will stand before the throne. And you see, Joseph was reaping for seven years, and then seven years of famine came. But guess what? Jesus will not stop reaping until the end of the age. And here's the thing. Joseph went to prison, and he had to go through a lot of tribulation in order to be in the position of second in command where he can gather in the harvest. But guess what? Jesus wasn't only in prison. Jesus had to die to make the harvest possible. It says this in John chapter 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he says this, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Just a few verses later, he says that. Jesus is basically saying, hey, I'm gathering in a harvest, but you know how much I want this harvest to happen? You know how much I want people to meet me? You know how much I want people to have peace with God and peace with each other? 
in order to gather in this harvest, I'm going to be the seed that has to die. In order for a harvest to happen, seed has to go into the earth and die first. Jesus was that seed. He died in order to bring in the great harvest. Jesus died in order that we all might be able to even sit in this room and hear the message of peace. Family, Jesus has given it all for this mission of peace. Jesus himself sacrificed it all because he loves you. And because he wants to know you, even though you're an enemy, he is reaching out to you and is inviting you in to know him and to have peace with him. And he wants you to have peace with each other. Like if people are having people that like are my enemies if my enemies are enemies with each other, I'm like, whatever. That's cool. They can bicker among themselves. Right. I got my friends over here. Jesus doesn't love like us. Jesus sees his enemies, us who have rebelled against him. We are enemies against each other. And you know how he responds because he's perfect? It breaks his heart. He says, I'm going to die so that they will have peace with God and peace with each other. And you know what Jesus does in response? He hires you. He sends out a job wanted poster for you to be his peace harvesters. He is inviting you to labor alongside of him, to labor with him on his mission. This mission is scandalous. This mission is urgent, and this mission will be successful. Will you join them? Amen? Would you all pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, you are good, and you have displayed this through the ways that you have been on mission. Jesus, you yourself have initiated this mission of peace. You yourself, Jesus, have given it all in order that we might know peace with each other and with you. So, God, I pray that you would send us out. Holy Spirit, would you inspire us, encourage us to go out and to be messengers of peace? Lord, would you place a burden on our hearts for our friends who don't know Jesus? Would you place a burden on our hearts when we see people in the world not at peace with each other, being divided along all these different lines? And, Jesus, would you encourage us with the fact that if, if and when we do jump in this mission, it is a winning and victorious mission. We are on the all-star team, and we know we're going to win the game. And would you give us a little FOMO so that we might hop in? Lord, we love you. Amen.